Previously, previously, previously on the Murphy Monday podcast. So glad we got the chance to do this via Zoom so I can get out your text messages. <laughs> full on paragraph long text messages about what I loved and didn't like about the podcast. So thank you for indulging me too, because I'll be honest, I'm talking right back to the screen every time I listen. Bill Murray, Rotten Tomatoes. Why does he keep bringing this up? And for the people out there, let me just specify this also. Rotten Tomatoes takes up all the critic score for every movie that that any person has done. So there's a critic score and there's an audience score. And the critic score for most of Eddie Murphy's movies is super low. The audience score are very high to moderate. I still say fuck them critics. <laughs> That's We've been waiting for a long time. Hey everybody, welcome to the Murphy Monday podcast, the only podcast that celebrates the life and career of Eddie Murphy. I'm your host, Nigel A. Fullerton. <laughs> this week, we talk about critics. That's right. Um A recurring theme on this podcast is the fact that Eddie Murphy's highest grossing films got very, very low to mediocre reviews. We're talking movies like Beverly Hills Cop. We're talking movies like Coming to America. We're talking movies like Harlem Nights. A lot of the critics did not like Eddie Murphy's movies. And this is in the 80s. Let's not even go to the 90s. Let's talk about just the 80s alone. They didn't like him. They thought he was foul mouthed. They thought what he represented was toilet humor. And I figured, Hey, why don't I do a episode where it highlights what critics thought of Eddie Murphy back in the eighties and early nineties. So I did my Googles and I found old episodes of Siskel and Ebert reviewing movies that we love movies like Eddie Murphy, raw coming to America, Harlem nights, The Nutty Professor, and Boomerang. I chose those five movies to basically try to get a hold or grasp of how they critique movies that we all love. And as a good friend of mine would say, Fuck them critics. If you haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe. Tell an Eddie Murphy fan to tell an Eddie Murphy fan that you love this podcast. You can also hit us up on our IG account, at Murphy Monday Pod, with all hearts and minds clear, hey, let's start this episode. We've been waiting for a long time. Yes, we've been waiting for a long, long time. Good morning, my neighbor. <laughs> Eddie Murphy Raw, and this is the movie I've been waiting for ever since I heard about it, just after I saw and was disappointed by Beverly Hills Cop 2, because that was Eddie Murphy as a wind-up action toy. But Eddie Murphy Raw is Murphy as Murphy in concert with the rawest of language, and he's never been funnier. For example, he names names at the beginning of his concert, putting down hilariously Michael Jackson, and then he puts down Bill Cosby, even worse than Roger just did a while back. 
who Murphy tells us, Bill Cosby that is, Bill Cosby called Eddie Murphy one day and told him to clean up his stage act. Stop it. There's not a lot more that we can show you of Eddie Murphy Raw without you hearing more bleeps than words. He's foul, but very funny, talking in brutally honest comedic terms about sex and marriage. The concert tails off at the end somewhat with a tired bit about how badly white people dance. Most of us know that. But more often than not, at least us two, more often than not, Eddie Murphy lives up to the concert film standard set by the man he calls his idol, Richard Pryor. And that is high praise indeed. I really liked Eddie Murphy Raw and I knew that I would. He should release, I think, a concert film every year because the parts that are written for him, by and large, with the exception of 48 Hours, really haven't been that good. Gene, I don't think this film deserves comparison to Richard Pryor in any way because what Richard Pryor has is insight and, and sympathy with the humanity of the people that he's making fun of, and that's the one thing that's lacking in this concert film by Eddie Murphy. It's an extremely juvenile film. The humor is extremely callow. You talk about his attack on Johnny Carson's wife. I don't believe anybody could get away with talking about blacks the way that Eddie Murphy talks about women in this film. On the basis of what he says in this film and the way he uses the key four-letter word as a club, this movie hates and despises and puts down and rejects women no. and sees them only in all. terms of their sexual no. function. Not at all. Yes, Not at all. No, no, let me, let me answer. Yes, it let me answer mm -hmm. because the film comes around and goes right back and throws it at, back at men. Yes, it is more loaded against women than it is against men, but Roger, where is your sense of humor? It doesn't. The man is it not, doesn't the man come is around not. and throw it at men either. Yes, it, it does. Everybody yes, it in does. terms of what takes place right between their belt and their knees. That's, That's a the joke. only part of the he's human being that he's joke. interested in. He's making he doesn't have any interest at all in their personalities, not... in their problems, in their humanity. One of their problems this is has... bathroom humor, Gene. And it it's very funny. Humor. It's very funny it's bathroom not humor. That. If you think it's funny, yes, then I maybe do. you need to grow up along with Eddie Murphy. Oh, Roger, you can both right. go to Richard that's Pryor right. and learn how to be a little more mature. No, let me tell you, it is very, very funny. Oddly, people who haven't seen this film are going to agree, gee, Roger's right, it should be clean, it should no, be no, clean. No, 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 I you didn't really say it should be clean. I'm not playing to the audience, and I'm not saying it should be clean. I have nothing against four-letter language. Right. I love it when Richard Pryor uses it. Richard mm -hmm. Pryor uses it as poetry. Eddie Murphy uses it as a bludgeon. Okay, I disagree with you. I think Richard Pryor is a genius. I think Eddie Murphy is getting there. Coming to America, starring Eddie Murphy, and one of the criticisms that has dogged his tremendously successful career is that he hasn't played a romantic leading role, preferring to be a smart aleck rather than a lover. Well. Murphy rises to that challenge in the very funny Coming to America, playing an African prince who resists his parents' attempts to force upon him a bride. Why can't I find my own wife? Aha! So that's it. We've gone to a great deal of trouble to select for you a very fine wife. Since the day she was born, she was taught to walk and speak and think as a queen. But father, what if I do not love her? That was Sherry Headley as the love interest. She's beguiling, and so is Murphy, taking it easy this time, confident in himself, in his on-screen presence. For the first time, he doesn't seem nervous about filling every second with a wisecrack. He's likable, and so is this funny and very charming movie. Now, just one more thing that's very funny about the picture. Murphy, in disguise, creates a couple of very funny characters who meet the prince in his slum neighborhood. He plays a black barber and an old Jewish man in disguise who are always quarreling with their buddies. I suppose nobody in here ever heard of Cassius Clay. We got a point. Cassius Clay was a bad woman. Hey, I ain't saying Clay ain't bad. I'm just saying I stopped liking Cassius Clay once changed the name of Muhammad Ali. What kind of is that?
Wait a second. Wait a second. A man has the right to change his name to whatever he wants to change it to. And if a man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, damn it, this is a free country. You should respect his wishes and call the man Muhammad Ali. His mama named Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. And that was Arsenio Hall, also quite funny as the bearded man. Good comic cameo material in this thoroughly satisfying movie. Well, I was also impressed by Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall in terms of what they did on the screen. I thought that both of them showed an enormous range of comic ability. Right. What surprised me, though, Gene, was the screenplay. Right. First of all, this plot is so old-fashioned and so hackneyed and so recycled out of a hundred other fairy tales and other movies that I was waiting to see what kind of twist or spin Eddie Murphy was going to put on it. And there isn't any. And the second thing is, the energy level of the movie is so low. This is the first Eddie Murphy movie I've ever seen that can accurately be described as lethargic. Oh, I didn't think it was I mean, fine. you talk about how he's sweet and laid back. Yes. I think he's way too laid back. I wanted to see Eddie Murphy take this prince and not play him so straight and so sweet, but give him a little bit of an edge. Well, well, now, uh, I'll tell you, I think Eddie Murphy, by his very nature, can't help but give a character his edge. Mm -hmm. I think he's got energy inside him. But I think it's a romantic lead. He goes back to old-fashioned style movie making, and I thought it was perfectly handled. Uh, this is really, just the uh, movie I mean, that I wanted to see. If you're going to talk about the romantic lead, it really is old-fashioned, because yes. there was nothing new-fashioned about this relationship. And I liked it. And the whole idea of judging women on the basis just of their physical appearance and their external oh. qualities. Oh, that's sweet, the way he oh, comes off and does well, I, I bought the whole so. thing. I think that in 1980... Did you like the movie or not? No. But you like the, you like what both of the I, leads did in their talented guys. Give them a screenplay. I think they, they got one. They wow. did a great job. Why'd you put this orange juice in the refrigerator with just a swallow left in the container? Bill, why'd you leave me the hell alone? But that don't make no sense. You should have just finished it. Don't put it back in the refrigerator with just a swallow in the container. Eddie Murphy joins Richard Pryor and Red Fox playing gangsters in Harlem in the 1930s in Harlem Nights. That's one of four new movies we'll be reviewing this week on Siskel and Ebert. I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. Our first movie is Harlem Nights, and this one is a real disappointment coming from Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, a recycled collection of 1930s gangster cliches that's like stuff we've seen a hundred times before. The movie stars Pryor as the owner of a successful Harlem nightclub in the 30s, and Murphy is his adopted son. The club is so successful that a rival mobster named Bugsy Calhoun sends his sexy girlfriend by to check it out. What would a woman that fine want in a big, fat, nasty, greasy, fat, stank, bloated, cheesy, back, 12 sandwich-eating bastard? What does she want with it? Oh, she likes fat guys. Almost everything in this movie is borrowed from other places, from old gangster movies, from the Cotton Club, from standard Damon Runyon stories. The only thing that's a little original is that nobody in this movie talks as if it's really 1938. The dialogue is distractingly filled with four and twelve letter words that sound at home in the nightclub acts of Pryor and Murphy, but in this movie, they only indicate that they don't really want to make a period picture. They just want to dress up in old clothes, ride around in old cars, and do their thing. I know that Eddie Murphy is the number one box office star in America right now, but sooner or later, his reputation is not going to be enough to carry turkeys like this. He's a genuinely talented actor, but unless he's willing to take a few chances, he runs the risk of sabotaging his career before he gets the chance to do the really good stuff that he's capable of. Well, I was appalled, too, at the movie, and, you know, this is his first job 
writing and directing mm -hmm. a picture. Mm -hmm. And he really doesn't show anything in the direction of this film that is special. I don't know why he did it other than an ego thing. Now, as far as the uh, script is concerned, it's, uh, it, to say that it took things from the Cotton Club, the Francis Coppola picture, is insulting that film. There's nothing there except the costumes. Uh, it has no music. Isn't that interesting? You yeah, you have a band in the background, and it just plays background music. There is not one musical number. They didn't want to spend the money. They couldn't have to find anyone paid enough to write the songs. You would think that would be entertaining. No. Instead, there's a lot of foul language, and there is a lot of racism, black against white, and vice versa. So much so, you wonder, you know, what are they doing with that stuff here? It's just thrown. In, is that thrown in for entertainment value? The whole picture is dead in terms of the way sh scenes take place. Mm -hmm. They go on, and then you're waiting for and something then every to happen. Once in a while, you get a scene that is obviously there only because it's the sign of amateurish uh, writing. Is that he puts a scene in just to explain something that couldn't be explained any other way? So everybody gets together and, and talks about something so that you will know uh, some plot point that isn't interesting anyway. I think the key thing that Murphy has to ask himself about this script that he wrote is, if somebody else wrote it and submitted it to him, would he have wanted to film it? Yeah. And the answer would be, no, it would go right into the circular file because it's a totally unoriginal, uninventive, right. uncreative, and unfunny collection of recycled cliches. I just want to reemphasize how dreary the picture is to watch. Uh, there's so much hate on the screen. Hate white, hate black. I, I just caught me and, totally and by surprise. hate women, too. Because unless I miss somebody, there's not a single woman in this movie who is not a prostitute. Or a madam. That, then, uh, or a madam. And that isn't even uh, looked at in a negative way. That's just doing business. And at one point, uh, Eddie Murphy actually murders, shoots through the head, a girl who has just made love to him and who is still in bed with him just before she was going to try to kill him. This is, this is really negative, uh, 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 bad vibration kind of uh, stuff. How question. anybody thought it belonged in a comedy, yeah. that it was funny, shows really twisted values. Yeah, I feel sorry for young people who go to see it because Eddie Murphy is their hero. Coming. Well, good luck. I sure hope you find him. Thanks. Kane! Kane! Wait, let me give you my number because I'm not going to be able to sleep until I know you found him. Do you have a pen? Do I? That's Eddie Murphy in one of the opening scenes of his new movie, Boomerang, playing a role that we're very familiar with, the ladies' man who's always on the prowl. Murphy plays an executive at a big company where his romantic exploits are legend until the day when the company is taken over and he gets a new boss named Jacqueline. In this scene, his friend Holly Berry comments on this new woman he already finds fascinating. I mean, look at her. She's fantastic. I mean... If I were a guy, I would probably be interested in Jacqueline. Oh, if you were a guy. Not, not that I have those thoughts, because I don't, but I'm just saying, she's attractive, and I would probably go out with her. I know, I know where you're going. Women do stuff like that. You see other girls, and you say, oh, she's cute, or her hair is nice, but guys don't see other guys, and go, oh, look at her shoulders. They don't, we don't do that. Now, this is not exactly an original idea in the movies, but Boomerang brings some new energy to it by adding a lot of satire about the woman's cosmetic business. Two of the funniest scenes in the film involve Eartha Kitt as the aging cosmetics tycoon who wants to seduce Murphy and has a bring-down-the-house one-liner, and also by Grace Jones as the bizarre supermodel who comes into his life in a chariot drawn by half-naked bodybuilders. Then at the heart of the movie is that sweet relationship between Murphy and Halle Berry. 
This is a kinder, gentler Eddie Murphy than we've seen in the movies before, and I like him in this film. Well, I uh, liked one thing that he did in the picture. I mean, everyone knows that there's so much publicity about this picture that Eddie Murphy's, you know, sort of been shocked by the criticism that he's too macho in his Playboy interview and on the screen and uh, with Harlem Nights and that he's not black enough, that he doesn't hire enough blacks. So now this picture is like an apology, a meal culpa <laughs> for my all my sins. But I think what has happened is they haven't put enough laughs in it. And the dangerous kind no. of funny Eddie Murphy is what I was missing in this picture, it, except in one area. And that's where I want to uh, say something positive about him. In the sex scenes, when he is dominated, Eddie Murphy does it just right. Mm -hmm. He is shown orgasmic. And as I've talked about this before. Most movies, the, the grammar of the way most uh, sex scenes are shot, the camera's on the woman. And she's orgasmic, and the guy, you never see it. It's really fun, well, and they I, okay. do it, and that's risk-taking, and I like that. Okay, but other than well, that, I, okay. there's an hold on, in the hold picture. on. I agree, I agree with the good things you said about the movie. I think there are some big, big laughs in it. I think Eartha Kitt has a that's great supporting funny. role. I think Grace Jones has a great supporting Tasteless. role. I think tasteless in a wonderfully funny way. Of I course so. it's tasteless. Well, I, mean, I mean, what kind of a discovery is this, that it's tasteless? No, I, th I mean, that, of no. course it's tasteless. No. But what I want to zero in on is... Because this is Eddie Murphy, suddenly you've got this sociological criticism. Is he black enough? Does he have enough black people? No, no, no. I don't have way? it. Is I don't have way? it. His colleagues no, have you've, it. You've quoted it from other places. Exactly right. The fact is, I think you have to just look at this as a movie. You wouldn't put some other actor Absolutely. up to that kind of standard, Absolutely. I don't believe. I would, put, I would put any other actor up to it. In fact, it's in the agenda. And let me ask you something else. Do you think any of these ideas that I've just said are in his mind? Do I think they're in his mind? I'm sure they are. Yeah. I'm sure they. I'm, I'm sure that he wants to show a different side of himself. As so, any actor so why would, am I wrong to bring it up? Well, because you're doing it in a different way. It's hard to explain, but I know uh, what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, well, you don't. Unfortunately. You know, Roger. On that basis, you could do the show I'm, by yourself. Here's here's the problem. I have a very very good point I'm trying to make, and I can't make it in 30 seconds. Maybe we'll do a show Coming on it. Up, okay. The new show called Ebert. Girl, home. The least you can do is let us talk to her. Yeah, I'd like to get to know her a little better myself. Ain't nothing wrong with having relations. Don't be ashamed of that. Relations is beautiful. Are you asking me out on a date? Yes. Yes, I am. I'd love to. Believe it or not, that's Eddie Murphy starring there as a bashful professor named Sherman Klump who is head over heels in love with a beautiful grad student in that scene from The Nutty Professor. But he's so self-conscious about his weight that he almost lacks the courage to ask her out on a date. The date goes really wrong when a nightclub comic makes fun of him, and in desperation, Sherman drinks a secret experimental potion from his laboratory. He also plays all of the adult members of the Clump family in this scene, which is the funniest one in the whole movie. And tell you something, Mill, I don't know why everybody's trying to lose weight in the first place. Ain't everybody supposed to be the same size. We're supposed to be all different. Big, small, medium, midget. You're supposed to have all of that. You know what your problem is? It don't work out. Got exercise. Look at me. I'm all muscle. Oh, you fat. I'm muscle. Oh, my little Bill. He's a little Hercules. The bottom line, Eddie Murphy is back. He is, and it is a spectacularly funny picture. Yes, it is. Um, it is really laugh. You know, the old mm -hmm. movie phrase that the publicist used to say, laugh riot? Uh -huh. This is one of those things. Yeah. It is that funny. And I'll tell you part of the secret. 
Eddie Murphy's been in a slump for a lot of reasons. He's been picking terrible scripts. He's also been playing, playing guys that aren't really that nice. Mm -hmm. the, the fat professor is yeah. a wonderful yes, guy. Yeah. You love him, mm -hmm. and you want him to be happy, and you feel his pain, mm -hmm. and you root for him. So there's a rooting interest, mm -hmm. which we used to have in the early days of Eddie Murphy, and now we have it again here. You know, there's even a little kind of a subtle moment in the movie where he apologizes for being Buddy Love, and he said, I thought that's what people wanted me right. to be. And I was wrong. Well, you think about it, Buddy Love isn't too different from some of the characters he that's played in some of these other that movies. That is exactly and the point. And it's almost like he's it's telling like, us, hey, maybe I should get back to the Sherman Klump side of my personality. The nicer guy. That is yeah. absolutely... Now, think uh -huh. about that. I had the same insight, and I will tell you, to put that into a big, funny comedy mm -hmm. is wonderful screenwriting. Okay. I will say that Tom Shedyak is the director here. He made he, Ace Ventura. The first one. Yeah. This guy's hot, and so now, again, is Eddie Murphy. The recurring theme we find here is that critics don't know shit. They're basically sat there to critique a movie on not the entertainment value, but how it was viewed or how it was whatever. You know, they see millions and millions and millions of movies. So I feel maybe it's just me that Siskel or Ebert, whichever one that you care for or actually liked Eddie because they flip-flopped on how they felt about Eddie's career. Um, they they didn't like the, his movies. They did not like what he was bringing to the table. And, and the sad thing is, as we look at the movies of the 80s, there wasn't award-winning stuff going on. I'm sorry. I know there's movies that you love. I know there's the, the Ghostbusters. I know there's the Top Guns. There's the Back to the Futures and great. These are all great movies. But let's not act like they're great cinematic bodies of work there have not there hasn't been any great movies that have come out of the 80s that we're like oh my god wow that amazed me there's nothing where these critics are talking about these movies that you know they love and hated and whatever the reason why we have critics is basically to give a borderline fact of whether we should go or see the movie by the critiques that i got from these two guys it tells me not to watch any of these movies i would never know how great a harlem nights is if i listened to what siskel and ebert said so at the end of the day, we have to really look in toward ourselves and say, hey, listen, it's my opinion. It's what, how I feel about a movie, not what anybody else thinks. These are the movies that I love, and I don't care if you don't like these movies. And you know what? Maybe you shouldn't care either. Maybe you should just have fun because I would really like to know what makes them laugh and then critique what they like laughing at. Might be a next podcast. Hmm. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Be kind to others. And with all that said, let's end this show.